welcome to the seventh episode of Tune in with Trey. I'm your host, Trey Johnson, and the word of the day is passion, which means strong and barely controllable emotion. Be on the lookout for when I use it. For today's episode, I couldn't decide on a song of the day, so instead, we looked through your lyrics from multiple songs, and trust me, those connections tend to be crazy words. Today's theme is still Black Lives Matter, but I am not alone. I'm big on bringing the others up with me on my ride to the top, and that's exactly what I have in store. Today's guest is an up-and-coming journalist who is currently a junior at the University of Central Florida. He's been writing for five years now, covering sports mainly, but is not afraid to tap into societal issues. He is a co-host on the Forgettable Five podcast, available on Spotify, and even has his own segment called Bring the Funder. I've known him since the ninth grade. He's a huge Army football fan, big Yankee fan, and all about the group of five schools in college football. Today's guest is my friend, my brother, and fellow Newsom High alumni, Alex Funderburg. Welcome to the show, Alex. I'm glad that. What's up, Trey? Thanks for having me on. I'm excited. It's fair. It's fair. Man, I knew I had to have you on the show because, one, you gave me an opportunity to gain a large audience when I did your show. So I want to return the favor. And two, we have a similar mindset as it pertains to the Black Lives Matter movement, but different yes. ways of communicating our thoughts. Because mm-hmm. I talk about it and you write about it. Yep. So I want to know what got you into journalism and then why the writing side of the field? All right. So uh, back in high school, when I figured mm-hmm. out that playing baseball wasn't going to be uh, something that I could do in college mm. or professionally. I wanted to figure out a way to stay inside of sports. Um, so that's literally all I knew. So I started a Twitter account to cover Army. And eventually that led to creating a website for it and writing about it that way. And mm. at the time, I, I didn't like writing. It wasn't something I enjoyed. But I did it just to stay within sports. And then eventually I fell in love with it. And... Six years later, here we are. <laughs> I like it. I like it. I, I definitely get that. Um, definitely want to stay connected to the game, even though we can't play anymore. So let's get into your, your, I want to, today I want to talk about the two articles you wrote. Um, gotcha. the first one is called, but guess what I do? And you wrote it in response to George Floyd. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to know what clicked in your head and was like, I can't be quiet anymore. I have to let everyone know how I feel. So I had been pretty vocal on Twitter and uh, someone someone reached out and was like, hey, like I can tell you're hurting, write about it. Like you, you've written about, you know, I've, I've written about living with CP and these kind of things, but I never had written about, you know, societal issues, right? But so once they reached out, they're like, hey, write about it. You know, I was like, okay, let's, let's see where this goes. So like one night I started writing. And I was like, you know what, this actually could be an article. Because at first I was thinking it was just going to be like a long Twitter thread. Right. Um, but it quickly turned into something. I was like, you know, I can make this into an article. So it was like one in the morning and I was watching the news of, of the protests going on in Minneapolis. And I was like, this is, this is something that will not only affect the people I'm close with, that like my typical readers, but I feel like mm-hmm. this is something that could uh, have a wider audience and can be seen by a lot and start conversations. And at the end of the day, 
that's really all I wanted to do was start a conversation. Yeah, that's, that's really what it's all about. And you do a great job of using quotes. So the first one in this piece in particular is from Malcolm X. It says, I will never say progress is being made. If you stick a knife in my back nine inches and remove six, there's no progress. Pull it all the way out. That's not progress. Progress is healing the wound the blow made. Right now, they won't even admit the knife is there. So in relation to starting conversation, you know, with your piece, I want to know, how do we get those opposed to see that a blow has been made and that a wrong has occurred? You know, that's the, that's the million dollar question, right? I don't think, I don't think I have a concrete answer, but I think the more and more we talk about it, I think the more people come around on it. Um, more Americans now have a favor, a favorable view of the Black Lives Matter movement than they did right after Michael Brown and Ferguson, right? So we're, we're getting there. We're not where we need to be, but I think, I think we're leaps and bounds ahead of where we were, say, five years ago. Oh, definitely. Uh, we've come a long way. Obviously, there's still work that needs to do. So like the quote said, um, maybe three inches have been removed, but we're not healing wounds. Um, yep. So, you know, just keep pushing. Um, you discuss bad apples in the police force and how we can't yes. have them. I have mm-hmm. a three-part solution on how to filter out bad apples. Um, I want to know okay. what you think. So right. part one is weekly training. It's kind of like what Starbucks did when they closed their stores uh, and did diversity mm-hmm. training after the two black men were arrested in Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. Um, now, obviously, we can't shut down the police force. But yeah. when you're not in the field, you should be in some kind of mandatory training. I agree with uh, that. I like it. Yeah. Uh, part two. I'm not sure if this already exists, but a national task force or a board of governors should be in place to review not just police shootings, but those cases where someone dies in police custody. Mm-hmm. Um, for some reason, I don't trust the, the area conducting a review. So if we look at Louisville, Brianna Taylor's cops still haven't been arrested. So yep. that culture is kind of okay in those areas. And it's just, it's really just not okay. Like you got to find, there needs to be a higher authority in these situations. Yeah. And then my third part is just a no excuse policy. But we can't have bad apples. Obviously we have to get rid of um, dirty cops and racist cops. But mm-hmm. this is one of those professions where you can't mess up. Like yeah, if a teacher exactly. messes up their their test grade, maybe a test grade doesn't match in the book. If the bus driver messes up, kid misses school or is late to school. But when mm-hmm. a cop messes up, somebody's life is taken, and that is that has to end. Yeah, and I, I like your your second point because growing up in a military family, it's kind of how the military works. If something goes down, in let's say 82nd Airborne, a different unit is going to investigate it. They're not going to investigate right. it themselves. And right. I think a lot of times. When you're investigating yourself, you don't want to be wrong. You don't want to mm-hmm. seem like you were in the wrong. So I think, I think that has a big effect on, you know, why Breonna Taylor's killers have not been arrested yet, right? So if right. we can get, like you said, an independent review board, I think that will help a lot. Mm-hmm. And then I, a lot of that has to do with um, a bias too. Um, obviously, mm-hmm. you're going to look out for your own. Um, yeah. So I, I definitely get that. Um, let's move into this second article it's titled gotcha. When Will America Love Us? And you wrote it in response to the shooting of Jacob Blake. 
And you briefly discussed how you wanted to talk about it on your podcast, but couldn't. So I want to know why it was so hard to just get it out there. Um, so I, I tried about three times. I was, I can't do it. Um, mm. I, I've been worn out talking about it. You know, it's not something that's easy when it's as it seems, it seems like there's like every other day there's a new, a new one, right? So right. it's just pure exhaustion, I guess. Like I, I was burnt out. Luckily, I've been taking the last few weeks since I wrote this one to kind of chill out and regain myself. And But recording that on a podcast was definitely hard. But So I turned it into an article again. Just cause I, it's something needed to go out there regardless of me being tired. So I figured an article is better than nothing. Um, yeah. But yeah. That's that kind of how that was kind of my thought process into it. Okay, I get it. I understand. I mean, you're a little a little numb because, like you said, it happens. It seems very yeah. often in these times. So I definitely get where you're coming from. Um, yeah. You mentioned. I want, oh, go, go. I was gonna say I don't want to grow numb, right? I, right. I feel like a lot of a lot of uh, people in America are numb to it because it's so frequent. Mm-hmm. And it should hurt after after each one, right? After a while, you do kind of go numb to it. And I think writing everything down is a good way to realize what's going on. You kind of invoke some emotion again. But yeah, yeah. definitely um, a numb feeling for those who are on the Black Lives Matter side. But those who are against it are like, man, y'all still talking about how black people are dying too. So it's, it's kind of mm-hmm. both sides. Nobody wants to keep seeing it. Um, mm-hmm. And that's that's why we got to come together. We got to find ways to fix this problem. Mm-hmm. Um, you mentioned in the article that America likes what we do and not who we are. I yeah. want to go into that a little bit. Like, right. All right. So there is there's a Wale lyric from mm-hmm. a song called June 5th where he says, we're the sports, we're the music, do the math, we're the culture. Mm-hmm. Right. So it feels like everything in America is influenced by what we do, but it feels like whenever we do speak out or we do protest or we do sit out of an NBA playoff game, we're told, you know, you're you're selfish, right? You're stuck up. And it's Mm -hmm. like, so you want to be entertained by us, but you don't care about us, the people. And I think, and that, that was the whole point of this piece was, or someone on Twitter replied, like, stop asking for hugs. And I was like, that, that's not what I was trying to do here. I was trying to say, like, yo, when will the country care about us, the people, instead of us, what we do? Like, LeBron is more than a basketball player. He's a human being, too. So he has emotions just like you or I. He should be allowed to voice those emotions and not be told, oh, he's selfish or he's stuck up. Right? Mm-hmm. And I think that's where when I said, like, you care about what we do, but not who we are, I think that's where that comes from. I definitely get that. Um, it makes me think of the Anderson Pack lyric from the song Lockdown. Yeah, throw away black lives like paper towels. Mm-hmm. Um, you can go to the store and get more paper towels so they know that there's another black kid, black girl, who's willing to bounce the ball, throw a pass, catch a pass, sing a song, mm-hmm. do a dance. Um, and that's, I mean, yeah, We'll do those things, 
but we want to know that our lives about our lives are valuable too. And yep. like when they sat out for the boycott, um, they were acknowledging like, hey, we're more than basketball players. We're more than just athletes. Yeah. Um, and you know they they took the time to highlight what was going on in America. I want to yeah. know what your thoughts are of them continuing the season after that little break. So do I think sitting out the rest of the season would have been a bigger impact? Yes, but I do mm-hmm. get why uh, they continue to play. Because I think not every NBA player is a LeBron or a Giannis or a Kawhi and has that big uh, marketability outside of basketball. So mm-hmm. a lot of these guys can make a bigger impact while playing, right? Um, obviously, like I said, like LeBron would be fine if they cancel the season. Right. have a huge impact on this stuff. But a guy like, let's say, like Jalen Brown, right? He's been extremely mm-hmm. vocal. He's going to have a bigger impact with what he's doing on the court than he is off. So I think, I do think if they just said, you know what, we're not playing, I think that would have been a huge moment. But I don't think it would have sparked what they wanted it to. I think staying and playing and, you know, having those little messages on their jerseys, albeit not the ones they wanted to have per se, but they're there nonetheless, or having Black Lives Matter on the court or doing stuff during the National Anthem, I think it does still have an effect. Okay. I'm a little torn on the issue. I get the side of continue to play to make sure they keep continue to see us um, Mm -hmm. and use our platform. But on the other side, when they did stop, I was uh, going to eat with a friend and he just kind of asked, he was like, hey, what's going on with the NBA? I heard they're not playing. We had a conversation about um, Dick and Blake and everything that was going on. So I I see the effects of both sides. Um, I think I'm still leaning more toward not playing um, because I I see it as a distraction. Dick and Blake didn't happen too long ago, but I feel like it's been a while. You know, we're not yeah. talking about it anymore. That kind of goes to the being numb thing, right? Like, Brianna Taylor was only, what, like 150 days ago, but it feels like it was eons ago. And it's kind of, it, it's sad, really, because all, like you said, it kind of is a distraction. And if I were an NBA player, I think I would vote to sit out the rest of the year just so, you know, we can put the focus where it needs to be because, like you said, it does feel like we are kind of forgetting what's important here. Yeah, and it was it was a big um, big thing when the teams that came out said they didn't want to play were the Lakers and the Clippers. These mm-hmm. aren't like regular teams; these are like the contenders in the Western yeah. Conference. So that was a big statement by both of those teams. You know, um, that was that, that was huge. It wasn't like it was you know your eight seed. It was it was yeah. your two. Your two main teams, right? And I was kind of shocked that even after they said, yo, we don't want to play, that they still went on and played. Yeah, I'm under the impression that when LeBron speaks, the league moves. Um, yeah. <laughs> and this that time, crazy. it didn't happen, so it was a little surprising. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In your article, you mentioned, uh, I think the most powerful thing you said was, love and hate are the same feeling with opposite connotations. Mm-hmm. And I think I know what you meant, but I related it more to um, criticism and how because I love this country so much, I have the right to hate it as much as I do. 
Yeah. Is that where you were going with that? Yeah, that's kind of where I was going with it. I think, um, you know, like James Baldwin said, he said, I love America more than any other country in the world. And that's exactly why I insist on the right to criticize her, right? So, yes, I love America and I love everything America has done for me, but I also reserve the right to want to improve it for its flaws. And, um, love and hate are very similar. They're both very strong emotions that invoke very, very strong feelings. And, and, and when you love something, you can also criticize it and not be, and it not be deemed as like, you hate everything about it, right? You can, right. certain things you want, you want to see change. And I think that's what I was going for there. I get that. Um, to me, I related to my relationship with my mother. I consider her to be my biggest critic. Now, I don't want this to get misconstrued in any way because I love my mom and I know that she loves me. But because she loves me and wants the best for me, she has the right to let me know when I step out of line. Because she loves me, I know that she won't send me down the wrong path, you know? Yes, my parents are the same way. Um, last question before we wrap up. Um, I know we talked about racial injustice and the minute mm-hmm. we've lost over the years, but recently we lost one of our heroes. Um, in fact, he was the black superhero, the black Panther, Charlie Boseman. What, what did he mean to you? So I'm not a big movie guy, but for some reason I had seen almost all of his movies. Uh, mm-hmm. Black Panther. It did something for me, right? It, it's, right. there's now, there's almost no black superheroes. Um, and to see him as a black superhero and him be strong just because he's strong, not strong because he's mad, not strong because he's a bad guy. Like just to see a strong black guy on the movie, it did something for me, right? It, it meant yeah. a lot. Even though I was, what, 17 when the movie came out, I was, I was there like I was a five-year-old kid watching a superhero movie, and it had me and my dad doing the Wakanda Forever salute for like a mm-hmm. couple months after the movie came yeah. out. Yeah, <laughs> it uh, it meant it meant so much to the the black community, and even him playing Jackie Robinson, James Brown, Thurgood Marshall, he played so many of our really prominent figures, and he nailed it every time. He he did he did right by them. Um, I definitely get that feeling of feeling powerful after the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, that Black Panther was always my favorite movie because when I walked out of the theater, I had chills for like the rest of the day. And yeah. I saw that news. So I was, I was doing the what kind of thing every, all the time. And it, it's hard to explain. Um, but some people just get that, that feeling when you walked out of the theater, you're like, I can do anything right now. He felt invincible. Yeah, and I think that's what that's what representation does is when you give everyone representation, they're all gonna have that empowered feeling like, yo, I can go do anything. And it's very hard for uh black kids to relate to like all white superheroes. So to get mm-hmm. that black superhero meant so much to so many people. Yeah, I think it's important to see people who look like you doing um, high-end things, so him being a top-level actor, but even looking at past like LeBron and 
athletes and musicians like we could be president of the united states you know like barack obama mm-hmm. having something yep. like that to look up to um it made me it means a lot you know knowing that you can do pretty much anything yeah i think we got to get away from the only way to make it is through entertaining or or sports right you can make it as a lawyer make it as an actor make it you make it anywhere right that's one of the things our country does well now I think there is an opportunity gap, but with the limited opportunities we do, we got to make, or the, with the limited amount of opportunities we get, we got to make, the, we got to make the best of them. So, um, and you just got to keep, keep pushing, keep fighting and not, not be quiet when the other side wants you to be quiet. All right. I know that's a, that was the last question, but you mentioned, um, opportunities. So I have one more. Um, okay. Steve Nash. Just got hired as Brooklyn Nets coach, has no mm-hmm. experience. There are a lot of mm-hmm. African American coaches with more experience, more qualified for the job that were passed up. Mm-hmm. What do you think about that? So I think it, I think it definitely is a little bit of white privilege. And even Steve Nash said it himself the other day. He said, white privilege helped me skip the line, right? So mm-hmm. it, it definitely did play a role. Now I do think he might be a little bit of an exception to the rule because he is a brilliant basketball mind and Katie and Kyrie like him a lot, but it definitely did play a role. And I think if that was, you know, say Kyrie Irving in 10, 15 years, I don't think he would get a job right away. Um, but it's definitely white privilege definitely did play a part in that. I definitely get that. Um, to me, it hurts a little bit because Kyrie and KD definitely had veto power. Um, for sure. And they didn't, they didn't look out for their own, you know? like, I was really yeah, expecting Mark Jackson to get hired somewhere yeah. or Ty Lu, um, but it just didn't happen. Yeah. I'm convinced that Mark Jackson has been blackballed because he's been out of the job for a very long he time. Had, he had to be. Like, he built, he built that Warriors team. Like, he did. <laughs> um, Steve Kerr gets all the credit, but Mark Jackson was there when it got put together. Yeah. But he, he has to be blackballed. That's the only reason that I can see him not getting a job because he wasn't a bad coach. I mean, the, the Thunder job just opened up. Um, but what they mentioned, um, when I was watching it on ESPN that black coaches seem to get put into situations where the team isn't as good. Um, yes. and white coaches get, to be at the top, like the Brooklyn Nets, the Golden right. State Warriors. So, yep, it's, it's a struggle. And to get off of, or to move away from the race thing, I'm interested to see what happens with Becky Hammond. Like, she's someone I think deserves a head coaching job, but will her being a woman keep, keep her from getting it? Like, yeah. I really wanted the Knicks to hire her or Mark Jackson. Mm-hmm. They hired, they hired Timbido, but. I'm curious to see what happens with Becky Hammond too. Like, yeah. she's going to job somewhere. Cause she's, she's great. Like, when she Pop is. goes out, when Pop goes out, she's the head coach and she runs it and they win. So. Yeah. I, she deserves, she deserves a spot somewhere. Yeah. It's just somebody being willing to take that chance and go against the status quo. Yep. Uh, who's going to, who's going to be that, uh, that branch Ricky that signs, you know, the Jackie Robinson. So. Right. I don't know if there is a current GM who wants to take that leap. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I want to thank you for coming on my show. Is there anything you want to say or promote before we get out of here? Um, 
I want to thank you for having me. This was this was fun. Um, I'm definitely gonna have you on my show again sometime soon, hopefully. Um, Perfect. You guys can follow me on all social media at Alex Funderburk. Um, but yeah, no, thank you for having me on. It was a great conversation, and I appreciate you for having this platform to where you can have yeah. these conversations because I think uh, we we need to have more of them. Yeah, for sure. I appreciate it. Yep. That's the end of episode seven. Thank you all for listening. Do shout out to my man Alex. You can find all of his work on his website at alexwonderberg.wordpress.com. Please go check it out. He's got some great stuff. Be on the lookout for more content episodes. And until then, stay tuned. JJ, out.